Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about a self-aware leader, part two. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We're so glad you're with us today. We're talking about a self-aware leader. What does a self-aware leader look like? And this is part two of our discussion. Yeah. So if you missed part one, go back and check that out. Uh, it will be worth your time. A lot of uh, good nuggets in there. Some great jokes by me. Mediocre jokes by David. And then also a delicious uh, little little David's Eats portions at the end, which will get your mouth watering, guaranteed. And that is why we're still talking about self-awareness. <laughs> Dave, what's up, man? Man, I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's November up here in the Northeast, which means uh, we're all kind of stuck in limbo between, um, I guess, two weeks of fall and eight months of winter. We're just hoping that fall is going to last a little bit little bit longer. And uh, But I know there's already the signs of uh, winter. In fact, I just saw something yesterday that they're calling for some snow next week, which I immediately rebuked in Jesus' name. We're going to do a prayer service this week just to come <laughs> against that. Yeah, but besides that, we're doing well. How about you and your family? I know you guys got away recently. Do you want to talk about that at all? You talking about our Disney trip? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to, went to Disney World. and You take so many big vacations that you're not sure if that's the one I'm talking it's about? It's hard to remember them all. It really is. Um, no, it was great. We had a great time, and um, it was both... Both the kids got strep while we were there, and my wife also got sick. But other than that, it was great, you know. And somehow you stayed completely healthy? I did, you know. Well, you know what I like to say. More favor, less labor. <laughs> More favor, less labor. That's what I say, too. So, uh, so yeah, it was good. It was good. You know, Disney... Disney is awesome for the kids. Um, I'm more of a beach guy. That's what I've realized. Mm. So, um, yeah. And all the all the parents out there who have been slaving and saving to get their kids to Disney now hate you. Head head down to the beach, a lot cheaper and more relaxing. <laughs> anyway, uh, excited to jump back into part two today of our discussion. We started um, in the last episode talking about a self-aware leader and uh, mm-hmm. we want to dive back in. So we uh, maybe give us a little quick recap. We sure. shared there's six thoughts or six yeah. questions you shared with us. Yeah, and- yeah. So we said the self-awareness is the ability to correctly see yourself, how you fit into a team or a room or an organization or even the world, and then also how others see you. So there's the internal aspect of self-awareness. Do you understand and see yourself properly? And then there's this external aspect, which is, do you understand how other people see you? And so we're talking about six questions that self-aware leaders regularly ask themselves. And in the last episode, we talked about the question of what am I great at? What am I bad at? Which is really one question, but the inverse of each other. Uh, second, what, when am I at my best? When am I at my worst? And then the third was, how am I seen by others? And we talked about blind spots and uh, just the idea of getting feedback from people uh, who have nothing to risk by being honest with you, which I think we both agreed is a difficult uh, thing. So today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, three more questions that self-aware leaders should be asking themselves. And the, f- the first question for today, or the fourth question overall, is the question, where does my power come from? Which I guess sounds like a question that a superhero would ask themselves, but specifically the idea that power is influence and power is felt and observed and it's unavoidable in an organization. Some people have power over other people. We're not using power necessarily in a um, manipulative, controlling, domineering way, but just the idea that 
some people have more power than others, and where is the what is the base of that power? Um, back in the 1950s, two um, sociologists or psychologists, John French and Bertram Raven, they kind of did the initial work on this, and they came up with five bases of power, and it's actually grown to seven now uh, and I just want to let me just read through them real quick and then we'll break them down is that does that sound good that sounds like a great plan David okay so th- here's seven different bases of power and they're all based on the perception of where you get your power from all right and so the first one is this and it's connection power and connection power is the perception that uh, you are associated with influential people so you have power because of your connection to people who have power Okay. The, the second thing is coercive power. And coercive power is perception that one can administer consequences. So you have power because you can make life miserable for me. You can fire me. You can uh, give me a demotion at work. Uh, you can do something negative. I can withhold my tithe from church. <laughs> well, that would be punishing yourself. Uh, <laughs> and then the third one is reward power, which is the inverse, perception that someone can distribute rewards and recognition. The fourth one is information power. This is one of the newer ones. Information power is the perception that someone has information that is valuable to others. And then these last three are really the key three. These are the three that really make up what we would uh, want as leaders when it comes to power. The first one is expert power, uh, the perception that one possesses subject matter knowledge. The next one is legitimate power, which is perception that one's decisions are appropriate for one's title. So in other words, legitimate power is tied very closely to your actual position and title. And then referent power. And referent power is the perception that someone displays behaviors that earn respect. So this is like leadership that maybe you don't have the title, Maybe you're not the expert, but it's really who you are. It's the way you live. It's the values you embody that make people want to follow you. And that's where you get your power from. Is that the ideal or or is one of these the ideal or? Yeah. Well, I think they're all useful and some of them sound worse than others. Like I think coercive power sounds manipulative, but, but it's actually important because coercive power also includes accountability and holding people to their job descriptions and having annual reviews. So I don't think you can avoid it, but I would say this, in the research that I've read on this, coercive power is less effective with millennials than it was with Gen X or boomers. Um, And I don't 100% know why. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I'm not sure. Other than to maybe guess that I feel like those generations tend to have a little bit more um, rebellion in them, you know, because mm-hmm. I tend to operate this way where it's just you lean towards instead of fo- stepping in line and following the rules, you lean towards kind of pushing against that. So maybe that's why. Yeah, I think um, the millennials also have grown up with so much access and so much information and so much opportunity that maybe they're not as afraid of um, negative outcomes at work because they they know more than any other generation how to find additional opportunities. Yeah. A little more um, entrepreneurial too. So. Yeah, they're entrepreneurial a little bit. And then also, and this is a harsh um, sort of over, this is a harsh way of looking at millennials. It's not entirely fair. And you're a millennial, so you can defend yourself. But they're, they're, one of the things that's been said about them is they, they were raised in a way that they tend to identify themselves as maybe being special um, 
you know, being really having unique value, which How is dare you, sir, <laughs> which is fine, but it might make them feel like they're above some of that or that they don't deserve that. Um, I don't really know, but coercive power from sure. studies is not as effective with millennials, but the ones that are most effective are referent power, which is you are who you say you are and I respect you and I'll follow you. Um, then expert power actually is a really big deal still with millennials that somebody actually knows what they're talking about. Maybe that is actually an outworking of the internet and all the information that people can get out there when they find somebody who actually 100% knows what they're talking about and can back it up. You know, true. In a in a in a in a sort of avalanche of information, maybe an expert means a lot to millennials because actually is the one that ranks the highest with them. Expert right. power. Um, which yeah. is a little bit of a switch because referent power was bigger with uh, Gen X. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. And the legitimate power is a big one too. You know, your actual title, even though probably millennials care less about titles and positions, at the end of the day, it still carries weight, right? If you're the CEO, you're still the CEO. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I thought about this and um, I actually was thinking in the context of parenting. So what does this look like when I'm trying to motivate my daughter to do something. And so I came up with these little examples. So so this might help us wrap our minds around these different things. So legitimate power. What would I say to my daughters if I'm trying to exhibit and use legitimate power? I simply would say this, I'm your dad, right? right. It's positional, I'm your dad. Expert power would be this, I know what's best for you. I've been where you are. I went to school. I, 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 you know, one thing I can't say to them is I've been a little girl, but, but you know, if you had a, you have Judah, uh, you have your son, you could say to him, I know what it's like to be a teenage boy. Take it from me. Right. Yeah. That's expert I mean, he's power. He's only six years old, but yeah. Right. Well, I'm just saying in the and, future. And we should know when you say that to them, they immediately respond right. with, you, I guess that's, you don't know what you're yeah, talking about. That's where this falls apart because <laughs> parents are never perceived as experts once the kids are older than like three and a half. Right. Um, referent power would simply be, you know who I am. Like, you know I love you, and I provide for you, yeah. and I want the best for you. Information power might be something like this. I had a meeting with your teacher, and I and I know something about, yeah. you know, what's happening in your classroom, or I know what she thinks about how you're doing. Uh, reward power is obvious. Eat your veggies, and you can have your dessert. Coercive power is, do you want to be sent to your room? Do you want to be grounded? Do you want Uncle Jared to uh, be your daddy? You know, just stuff that would be so punitive. Um, <laughs> Real punishment. <laughs> and then connection power, which was the one I had the hardest time with, with kids, especially kids my age, because um, I think we're still the most influential people in their lives. But I guess it would be something like this. My, my 10-year-old plays soccer. So if I were to say to her, hey, I'm, I'm friends with your soccer coach. And so it's my, I'm appealing to the idea that I have a connection with somebody who knows something about something she cares about, right? So those are sort of like parental ex, uh, expressions of would these that, would that be bases why, of power. Would that be when people name drop? Is that what's what's trying to happen there? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I think for sure. So if you're, you're t I'm talking to you, I'm like, yeah, recently I was uh, in a conversation with this person, somebody who I know you think is really important and valuable. Yeah. In order for... So, so subconsciously, I'm trying. To, am I trying to leverage in that moment that connection to gain some sort of authority or power in our conversation? Is that what's happening? I, I 100% think you're right. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, just the idea, like, um, or connection power and information power are the two new players. Like when French and Raven came up with this 
in the late 50s, yeah. it, they didn't include connection or information. And you kind of understand why information has become more important now. Sure. We've moved to more of an information-driven um, world and um, workplace. Connection power, I'm not sure why that, maybe they just didn't observe it or maybe they just didn't um, think it mattered. But um, those both matter largely. But with information power, I, I see that playing out a lot of times where people um, have access to um, high-level meetings, Right. And they let people know that they're in those meetings. They know that they can't say what was said in it, but they still want people to know that they were in it. Right. And now there's this perceived sense of power because they might, they may not, you don't know. That's the whole thing. But they may have information that gives them power over you. Right. Yeah. And what's, what's crazy is people operate, operate this way subconsciously all the time. Like, uh, like our brains are wired where we're smart enough for me to leverage something over you to try to gain some power in our conversation. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. Yeah. Right. I well, mean, that's insane. Well, and it's intuitive kids do it. Right. I mean, it's very early on. So what does this have to do with self-awareness? You have to know where does your power come from? Right. If you're a leader, you need to have a sense of like the seven different bases. In theory, you may have access to all of them. How do you utilize them? How do you leverage them? Which ones are you maybe relying too heavily upon? Like if you're just using coercive power, if you're just threatening consequences, that's one power base. It's not necessarily a bad power base, but it's a bad power base if it's the only power base, right? Yeah. If you're if you're a leader in a church and you've got a staff under you and the main motivator you use for everybody is a threatening that you're, they're going to get fired, um, in the short term, you may produce results, but long term, the culture is going to be totally destroyed in that environment. Yeah. For sure. And even um, so, uh, one of the things I would encourage leaders to do is look at these seven bases of power and try to even just rank them for yourself. Where do I think I get most of my power from, from one to seven? And then go to other people on your team. And this will be really hard, especially if you're the leader, because they're not, especially depending on the culture of your organization, they're probably going to be scared to give you feedback on this. (laughs) There's a way you can get it anonymously or something. But try to get a sense from them as far as like, which of these seven do you think I'm leveraging the most uh, in my leadership and in my display of power as far as how I show up in meetings, how I show up in conflict? And um, most leaders should spend a lot of time thinking about the top three, referent power, expert power, and legitimate power, and asking themselves, Um, How do I strengthen my referent power base? In other words, Mm -hmm. how do I gain more respect? Because referent power takes a a long time to earn, no time to burn, right? So a long time to get, but you can lose it immediately. Referent power comes from being a listener, uh, a person that people trust, uh, a person who has integrity, who does what they're going to, says what they're going to, or does what they say they're going to do, who sacrifices for the good of the team, and who uses power with, instead of power over, right? Yeah, and that's that's really, like you said, it's difficult to, to gain that, and it takes a long time, and it takes moments of uh, going through challenging situations with other people that you're leading and you're a part of. And But um, I, I get the sense that once you, when you get to that level, that area, that's when you see some incredible fruit and you see people really like, operating at a high level. Yeah, for sure. The Holy Trinity is referent power, expert power, and legitimate power, right? Yeah. You got the title, but you don't need the title because you have referent power. Right. But you have the title, which positions you for influence in an organizational structure that you wouldn't have without it, right? But then expert power gives you the the knowledge, the wisdom, and in some cases, the respect 
to right. do things. You actually know what you're talking about. Exactly. And the way you develop your expert power is you're a constant learner and grower and um, you're asking questions. I think great leaders actually ask more questions than they answer questions, right? Which leads us to our next question very, very well, which is this. Self-aware leaders have to be asking themselves regularly, who am I developing? And then the inverse of that is, who am I learning from, right? So I know you're passionate about the idea of developing leaders. Talk a little bit about the difference between a leader who attracts followers versus a leader who develops leaders. Yeah, I I mean, it's huge. And I think it comes down to mindset, um, like kind of how we view our mission. So do we view the mission as I need to get people to support my mission or what I want to do? In which case, um, some people are really good at this. You know, they're very, uh, they know how to speak. They know how to lead a crowd. They know how to operate in a way that's attractive to people. But the main goal of bringing people in is to help, to, for those people to help this person accomplish their their mission, their vision, their goal. Versus a leader who views his role as, how can I bring leaders around me that share a mission and vision but a huge part of my mission and vision is to elevate them, to raise them up, to develop them, even to the even to the cost of my own um, my own gain, my mm-hmm. own self promotion. Like I always viewed, I always viewed myself as who's the, who's the people around me. I'm going to develop, raise them up until eventually there becomes that tipping point where it's like, you know what, they could probably do this job better than I can now. Yeah. And, and, and all right, let me step aside. God's got something else for me, you know? Yeah, I have a couple of wonderful people on our church staff, and they're both really great at this. And what they've learned to do is they've, what we've talked a lot about in our staff meeting is you have to change the scoreboard. So yeah. if the scoreboard says you're winning because things are being done um, the absolute best they could be done, even if it only requires, even, even if it means one person doing it all, then you only win by holding on to things. But if the scoreboard is you're winning because you're handing things off and you're developing people and you're putting people in positions where they may actually fail, um, they may actually fall short, but somebody trying, learning, growing, failing, and learning from that failure, to us, that's still a win. Like, yeah. That's not a loss. That goes, on the, that goes on the scoreboard. And so it takes an actual organizational shift in the metrics. A couple of, le- a couple of things I've learned that's been helpful in this to me is, um, number one, give away all the credit and take all the blame. Mm-hmm. So, and you see this if you're in a staff meeting or some sort of, um, what is, who, who takes, a, if there's a great thing that happened, what sort of credit is taken, you know, cause it'll be like, Hey David, you did this thing. That's awesome. And how you respond to that, right? Like, yeah, it was an amazing thing. The team, they, they killed it. They crushed it. They did awesome. Uh, you know, this guy who works with me, whoever it is, he, you know, are constantly giving away credit, constantly giving away credit. And then, but when there's a situation that goes wrong, you're handling it with that person one-on-one, but you're absorbing the blame. You're yeah, shielding protecting them, them and you're taking it on yourself. And yeah. so I think that is huge. And the other thing I would say is language matters. So do you use I language or me language or do you use us or we language? Mm. Because when you talk, people pick up on it. So if you're saying my church or my organization or my ministry or my thing versus this was our thing, this is us, this is and and I I, I would do this even honestly even if the people didn't have a whole lot to do with whatever the thing was I was talking about, like even if they didn't have a whole lot to do with the project, like they they're literally sitting there going I didn't do anything with that, 
but you're still using the, yeah, we did this. All of us were in this and it, it matters. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then would you also say that that, um, corresponds with the idea of, um, privately correct, but publicly celebrate? Yeah. So a lot of times leaders who are insecure, unhealthy, um, they'll get that reversed, you know, they will yep. publicly correct and then they'll privately celebrate. And it's like, right. you know, it's a very unhealthy culture. Yep. Yeah, that's huge. So um, who am I developing? And then the, the, the inverse of that is who am I learning from? And uh, who are, how are some of the ways that you position yourself to be a learning leader? Where, and even give us some really specific examples if you can think of like, I know you're a podcast listener, but let's share with all of our other, share with all of our listeners our um, other podcasts that we listen to. Maybe we would consider them to be our rivals. <laughs> Absolutely. Like the way, a, the way the nail considers the hammer a rival. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I kind of could break down how am I learning into three levels, you know, which one is just like consuming. So it's like resources, podcasts, like you said, um, books that, that we're reading. And, um, and I, I, I've got a few podcasts that I love. We've talked about this podcast called finding mastery where he interviews people that are great at their craft. I think is helpful. Yeah, Michael Gervais, Michael Gervais, yeah. really good podcast. Um, there's, uh, there's some others. Um, I just found one. Uh, I just found one recently. Can I jump in? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just found one re- recently that I started listening to. It's just called um, uh, the Learning Leader Show with Ryan Hawk, hmm. and um, that's where I actually listened to a podcast interview with Dr. Tasha Couric that kind of set me on this path of studying out self um, self awareness. Also, really, um, obviously, I think some of the big ones are Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley's leadership stuff. Yeah. Anything else that you listen to? I listen to. Um, I listen to a podcast called Unbelievable, which is all about theology and apologetics, and mm-hmm. um, that's really to sharpen that side of me. Um, and then just there's some others. I listen to a podcast called The Rubin Report, which is really kind of political, and 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 um, the reason I do that is because I I also I also I want to engage with not just the pastor's regular mindset. How do I become a better preacher? How do I grow right, a church? Right. How do, but I want to, you know, everyday people, wh- where are they thinking? What are they going through? What are the experts out there wrestling with? So I try to do stuff like that as well. Yeah. I think um, I, I I love that. And uh, I like to listen to um, all sorts of podcasts like uh, Criminal and Serial and just things that make me, um, give me a perspective on the world, our yeah. country issues um and uh honestly at the end of the day it makes you a more interesting person too right yeah. as far as having yeah actually there is about. there is another podcast I, I don't know if i should admit this or not but um there's another podcast i listen to the disney princess which <laughs> story time <laughs> it's podcast. called it's called inside of you and it's a uh it's it's a guy michael rosenbaum who is uh he's an actor he's been in he a bunch played of lex luther on smallville yes he did and he loved was, that show yeah and Should he, I admit that? <laughs> he interviews celebrities, actors and actresses. And there's there's language. So if that's not your thing, that's fine. But I listen to it because um, when I'm communicating to audiences, like they get it's so interesting to hear the way they think about the world and the way that um, so many of our young people emulate these celebrities. But then you hear about how they think, how they process. How, so I listen to that from time to time just to kind of just to kind of get that. So that's interesting. The other thing I would say, Dave, um, for learning is um, I also would position myself. So there's there's just consumable resources that you can listen to. But then I also would position myself into like 
strategically picking events and things that I can go to and be mm. a part of yeah. where I know there'll be great leaders there that I can just sit with and learn from and yeah. hear from. Um, yeah. At some point, we don't need more information. We need actual access, right? We need to like yeah. watch somebody lead. Yeah. And sit and listen to great leaders have conversations with each yeah. other. That's yeah. That's been one of the best things for me. Yeah. Awesome. All right, last question, and uh, this is the maybe the biggest, most important of the six, but it's also probably the one that um, we we talk about maybe the most on this show generally is this idea of like why am I leading, right? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And here, really getting to the idea of like what is your motivation? And um, on some of these, on a previous episode, we talked about what is your vision of the good life? Where is this leading you? And understanding that helps you understand both your desired destination and your heart motivation. And uh, if we can speak from a specifically a Christian perspective right now, the why matters more than the what. Mm. Because when we lead to try to justify ourselves, try to prove ourselves, try to um, satisfy the God of achievement, career, wealth, um, status, control, whatever it is, um, the problem for the Christian leader is that uh, you're making that thing your functional savior, You're looking to that thing to do for you what we believe the historical person of Jesus Christ already accomplished for us. So there's a difference between leading for approval versus leading from approval, leading towards achievement versus leading out of a sense of Christ achieved for me what I couldn't achieve for myself. And so at the risk of turning this into a sermon, this is the question that I think, especially if you're a Christian leader— like, but even for people who wouldn't call themselves Christians uh, and are leading, you do need to examine your own heart and your motivations and make sure that the reason why you're leading is a healthy, sustainable reason that actually makes the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah, this is essential. And I, 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 the way I would describe it is it, um, mission drift, right? Like you could drift from being motivated by serving the mission of God to being motivated by serving the mission of my own heart, yeah, which is to find identity and value and worth and all those kind of things, and it happens, it happens so easily, so quickly, and so kind of undercover that you don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. So unless you're constantly or regularly assessing your motivations and your hearts, I think um, it, it can it can really sneak up on you. Yeah, and I think one of the things to look for is like the moments when you find yourself. Um, most frustrated, most angry, most sort of out of control, anxious, worried, whatever it is, just pay close attention to what is at risk in that moment, what it is that you feel is um, s- slipping from your grasp, and the chances are that's your real motivation and why you're leading. And you got to pay close attention to it because um, what a shame to lead well but to lead for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, you can do it. You can actually do it with the opposite spectrum of your emotions. Right. Like what brings what when you feel ultimate joy or happiness or um, excitement, why am I feeling that way? Yeah, you know? so exactly. Your emotions are the real um, temperature Tell, gauge of, yeah. of what's happening inside your heart. So if you pay attention to them, it can be super helpful. Yeah. So those are the six. Uh, do you want me to do a quick summary hit on them? Yeah. Read, read through the six real quick. OK. Time. Uh, number one, what am I great at slash bad at? Number two, when am I at my best slash my worst? Number three, how am I seen? by others. Number four, where does my power or my perceived power come from? Number five, who am I developing slash learning from? And then number six, why am I leading? So we have a what, when, how, where, who, 
why question Boom. for people to ask to become more self-aware. And by the way, there is actually, if you go to insight-quiz.com, you can actually take a self-awareness quiz, 14 questions that you take, and then you need somebody who knows you well to also take it. And we did that yesterday. I took it. I sent it to you. And um, uh, what I learned about myself... You immediately it, sent me a hateful text. Yes, I was that. not thrilled with the outcome. But uh, <laughs> it's a two-by-two two grid, and at least I wasn't in the bottom left quadrant. But what I learned is that I'm a bit of a pleaser, which means I uh, have a high level of external self-awareness, and I need to get better at my internal self-awareness. Mm. And my wife said, amen. Amen to that. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to close up with a little portion we like to do called David's Eats. Some would say this is their favorite part of the podcast. That's why we can't put it at the beginning because then they would stop listening. David, what? What? Here's the question. Normally we ask, what's your favorite thing that you've eaten all week? And we're not going to do that this week. We're going to ask a interesting question. One of my favorite food, one of my favorite shows is Bizarre Foods. Hmm. And so um, he goes around and eats all kinds of crazy stuff. I want to know what is the best, craziest, or bizarre food you've ever eaten? Ooh. And so I it's bizarre spot, I and I liked it? Yeah, like it has to, a food that would be bizarre to people, but yeah. you actually thought it was really good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so my mom's Korean, so there's a lot of Korean foods that I like that would probably be bizarre to people. Dry fish. They do they, they dry out fish and make it like fish jerky, and uh, you did peel have, it. Like, did I have some of this the other night? Was that the... No, you didn't. That was dried squid. Oh, dried squid. So there's, there's dried squid that they put hot sauce on, and I love that. So I loved... Um, I, I like a lot of different types of seafood, so I guess it would probably be something like that. Um, I think to most that would feel like a pretty funky thing i think so probably dried it's pretty strong, fish jerky pretty it's strong. very strong yep. squid is weird to people i mean i you know i'm all in on raw seafood so if people are weirded out or gross out by raw oysters or clams or probably the only really time i had a bad experience was i got a i think it was called a blood clam i was in um i was in baltimore actually and uh I, it's either a blood oyster or a blood clam and it comes to the table it's raw and it actually looks like it's sitting in a puddle of its own blood and it tastes irony like blood and me and my brother both tried it and both of us were like never again the name didn't hint you off <laughs> that maybe it did have some blood in actually it. the name is kind of what made us order it we're like this sounds pretty cool then it came <laughs> we're like oh literal all right the craziest thing that i've had that was actually tasty it was two things it was at a greek easter celebration i had lamb brains and a lamb eyeball i actually enjoyed it really yeah really funky texture the lamb brains is very mushy yeah um but put some of that on some bread and then the eyeball actually does it squirt when you bite into it a little bit but it was the flavor was crazy it was really really good so um yeah wow try it out so now there's a now there's a one-eyed lamb with no brain walking around because of no, your somebody appetite. else ate the other eye so oh, oh there's a blind lamb with no brain that's right. walking around because of your yep. hunger proud of it Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.